Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez on Zoom with Aaron Keller, and we have a special guest this week. We have Miranda Crowell with University of Nevada, Reno. Miranda, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. We are excited to have you, and um, we don't always preview our podcast, but we did this week because you sent a ton of photos, and they were great pictures, and we were like, we got to preview this, and it looks like our audience is really excited that you're joining us, too. Um, you've been doing pygmy rabbit work for UNR, and the pictures, people love them. <laughs> the pygmy rabbits are the cutest things. <laughs> they really are. They're so adorable. Well, I think we could just start by um, first just having you introduce yourself, and um, I just want to kind of hear your path on how you got involved in pygmy rabbit research. <laughs> um, so I'm Miranda. I'm a PhD candidate at UNR, um, and I started here in 2016 um, and have kind of been working my way through my dissertation and should be done um, this coming semester, which is pretty cool. Um, so I actually started working with pygmy rabbits in 2012 as an undergraduate student at Washington State University, and they just stole my heart from the first time I held one. Um, and so I kind of just helped out with a couple projects, and then um, my advisor, Lisa Shipley, uh, offered me a master's position. So I did my master's at Washington State University. And then um, my current advisor, after I was done with that, my current advisor, Marjorie Matoke, um, like sent out an email to a mammal listserv, uh, like advertising this project. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. I can continue to work with pygmy rabbits. Um, so I jumped on that first thing and I got the position. So um, since 2016, we've been surveying sites all around Nevada, um, looking for pygmy rabbits and pygmy rabbit sign, um, just to kind of document their occupancy across the state. Um, we've also been doing really intensive trapping surveys during the summer. Um, to look at how their populations vary um, across Nevada and over time. Um, and now we're doing uh, collaring. So we have GPS collars and we're working at two of those sites that we trapped um, for four years for my dissertation research. And so we're GPS collaring them and kind of looking at their movements across the landscape over time. Okay, yeah, I definitely want to get into what all of that entails, and we love the pictures we posted that shows the work you're doing in Nevada, but um, before we get there, I want to backtrack to when um, you were, you first started, you said in 2012, looking into pygmy rabbits. What made you, what was the moment that you were like, I'm going to study pygmy rabbits? <laughs> Um, so it's actually kind of funny. Uh, 
I was like volunteering for something else. And the postdoc who was working with the pygmy rabbits came to that meeting and she was like, I need volunteers. And me who had just gotten into wildlife was like, I want all the opportunities I can get. I want to do this. And I didn't really know anything about pygmy rabbits at the time. I just wanted wildlife experience. So I was actually the only volunteer helping her for a good year. So I got so much experience. And like I said, I just fell in love with them the first time I held one. So I just kind of fell into it, honestly, and have never looked back. <laughs> and here you are. It's really cool. Um, Mackenzie Jeffress, one of our biologists, um, we had her on the podcast like a month ago, I want to say, talking about pica. And she's the one who recommended you come on. And um, what's cool is it really takes, we have so many species in Nevada, and it really takes people who have an interest in specific species to start to learn more about those animals. Yeah, um, pygmy rabbits aren't like very well studied, but they are gaining like traction. I know there's been a lot of um, studies up in Idaho, but um, like Nevada is kind of lacking a lot of data on pygmy rabbits. So it's kind of cool to be a part of this project and getting this opportunity to help give knowledge on this species in this state, I guess. Exactly. And it helps us and our biologists learn more. Erin, you're smiling. I always call on Erin like randomly throughout the podcast. He calls on me like I'm not part of it. But uh, <laughs> say the, uh, it's, it's very easy to see, I mean, in previewing the podcast, just how um, popular pygmy rabbits are. But I kind of wanted to drop back to, I know what a pygmy rabbit is, but how, like somebody that's listening, what is a pygmy rabbit? I know question. short, but when I was in college and we'd be out in the field, they would say, oh, keep an eye out for pygmy rabbit. And then we'd be driving down the road and any small cottontail, we were like, oh, that was probably a pygmy. <laughs> Miranda explained kind of what a pygmy rabbit is. Yeah. Um. So a pygmy rabbit is a small uh, lagomorph rabbit, obviously. Um, they only weigh about one pound on average. Um, and they're sagebrush obligates. So they only live in the sagebrush step. Um, they rely on sagebrush year round for both food and cover. And they're also burrowing obligates. Um, so they dig their own burrows and use burrows for shelter, um, and they dig natal burrows to give birth in. Um, so I w one of the main problems that pygmy rabbits are facing is um, the decline in sagebrush steppe habitat. So very similar to the sage grouse. And so um, how can you tell the difference between a, like a pygmy rabbit versus another rabbit? Um, so the size, first of all, but in the summer, it's very common to have baby cottontails, like you said. Um, so there are a couple differences. First, the tail. Pygmy rabbits have a very tiny tail, almost non-existent. And they also don't have the white underneath their tail. So a lot of times the cottontails will have their tails flipped up and you see the white, um, but that's not the case 100% of the time. 
Another way um, you can tell the difference if you can get close enough is their ears. Cottontails have very uh, like furless ears, whereas pygmy rabbits, like if you look at the pictures um, that are posted, they have very furry ears all over. And that's true year round. Um, so that's another way you can tell them apart. Okay. Are they common to see pygmy rabbits? Like can the general public just see them while they're out hiking or are they more elusive? Um, they're pretty elusive. Um, I do see them quite often, but I, I've had 10 years experience too. Um, I'm not saying the public couldn't see them because sometimes they'll run like right under your feet. Um, they kind of take a long time to flush from under those shrubs, but a lot of the time they'll just sit under the shrubs and watch you or escape through the sagebrush um, before you get even close. Miranda, you know why Ashley's asking, right? This is the same as when we had Mackenzie on and talking about pikas. <laughs> the same with the pygmy rabbits. Ashley just really wants to see. These are the animals I love. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know a really lot about, much. but I use their pictures constantly when I'm promoting any type of, like just doing a general wildlife post. Pika, pygmy rabbits, I love them. They're so cute. <laughs> Yeah, if you if you know where to go and where they are, um, you're likely to see one. <laughs> so where and, do you? Yeah, I was gonna say, are they found all over the state, or are they? Um, so the closest place um, that I know of where they are is uh, in the Austin area, Austin, Nevada, so central. Um, they aren't found around Reno. Um, area. Uh, they're also, we also did some work in Hart Sheldon, um, which is in the northwest corner of the state. Um, but yeah, the whole, mostly the whole like northern, central, eastern side of the state, um, there's a lot of them. I'm gonna have to take a trip that way. <laughs> Go on. I actually, just, actually just pulled up a map and as you were naming out places. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, <had laughs> I mean, I'm seriously thinking I should come out and get video of you at work. We could do a whole promotion on this. <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> It'd be great to promote you and then I selfishly want to see pygmy rabbits. So there we go. <laughs> And then um, I love, you brought up such a good point that um, these are, we always try to explain the importance of sagebrush habitat and all the species impacted. Here's another species, which goes to show why your the work you do is so important. I want to take a deep dive into everything you're doing and now's involvement and um, just the importance of what you're doing. So we will Get to that right after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. I'm Ashley Sanchez, hosting with Erin Keller, and we have Miranda Crowell on 
Um, she is doing PhD work for University of Nevada, Reno, studying pygmy rabbits. So Miranda, thank you so much for joining us again. And um, let's pick up with, can you explain, so we you mentioned the work you're doing, the studies you're doing before the break, but could you get, um, I want to get dive deeper into that. So you said from 2012 to 2019 is when you really started your work. Um, so from 2012 to 2015, I was actually at Washington State University. So I started this work in Nevada in 2016. And I did my PhD work um, looking at how populations of pygmy rabbits are changing and where um, they occur across the state uh, for my dissertation research, if I didn't say that. Um, and now, um, Endow has given us um, some more uh, money to study their movement patterns. So we're GPS collaring adult rabbits um, in two locations, uh, one near Jigs, Nevada, if you guys know where that is. Um, it's in Southern Elko County. And then um, another site near Austin, Nevada, which is kind of more central Nevada. Um, and uh, where was I going with this? Um, That's how so, my mind's working right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we're collaring them to look at their movement patterns um, across our sites. And we found some really interesting stuff um, we've had rabbits collared, well, one rabbit was collared um, as long as eight months, which is pretty cool. Um, these collars actually only last about a month on average. Um, so we have to like recatch them and recollar them, which is a lot of work, but um, it's worth it for the information we're finding out. We found that um, a few rabbits have crossed Highway 50 which is pretty incredible. Um, and then we've had rabbits travel as far as uh, 2.5 kilometers in three and a half hours, which is how often our fixes are. So um, that's really, I don't think anyone has documented adult rabbits traveling that far that fast. So it's, it's really important to see that, to see uh, how colonies can be recolonized, how rabbits um, can move to other sites to keep genetics um, alive and well. That's not the right term, but I'm, my mind is. We know what you mean. Growing, yeah. popula the populations are thriving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and thriving may not be the best word. Um, so I guess uh, something I kind of wanted to touch on a little is in February, we did have our first detection of rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus two in our jigs population. And um, we currently have a manuscript in review for that because it's the first case of that disease hitting pygmy rabbits ever. Um, so we saw that population completely die out, but I recently visited um, three months later and the rabbits are back. So um, that's pretty cool, but uh, that disease could 
um, have like dire implications for populations that aren't as well connected as our two populations are. And actually later in the summer too, um, we found the disease at our other site and we lost pretty much all our collared rabbits at that time. Oh no. Mm. Yeah, it was disappointing. <laughs> so Miranda, I think I know the answer to this, but why do you have to recapture to recollar the rabbits? Um, so the GPS just dies on the collar. So we aren't getting fixes anymore. So um, we actually do have rechargeable collars, which is pretty cool. Um, shout out to Telemetry Solutions who made our collars. Um, so we can uh, get the collars back and recharge them and then put them out on a rabbit again. But we have enough collars where we can kind of like, we don't have to put the same collar on the same rabbit. Um, so that's because the batteries die and we aren't getting data anymore. We have to. Right. So it's just this based on the size of the rabbit that it can only carry a small, small battery. And yeah. Yeah. So our, our collars only weigh 15 grams. So you can imagine. What is that? Like anybody that's listening, like what, what weighs 15 grams? That they could oh my gosh. I don't even know. Um, yeah, Aaron, we totally put her on the spot. <laughs> well, I was like 15 grams. That's not very much. That's like no. Uh, a triple A battery, maybe. That's like, what I'm. Yeah, a triple yeah. A. Yeah. Yeah. Very tiny. And then uh, I thought it was interesting the uh, when you talked about the movements. I mean, I've driven across Nevada in every which way possible, and there's rabbits that always run across the road. Um, so, how important is it for us to know, like? The home range of a rabbit um, when it comes to like um, development or green energy or um, mining or any of these projects that kind of come up. How important is it to know about Sydney rabbits? Um, I would say it's pretty important, but I might be a little biased. Um, but I think the home ranges and just how populations can be connected. Um, and how those just like small scale connections between populations can expand to all of Nevada. I think that's pretty important to consider when putting in developments or a mine or whatever. Um, just because if we segment these populations by putting something in and they can't necessarily go around that, um, that's going to impact their populations and um, we could see more die-offs essentially or disappearance of these populations. Or just general knowledge that those animals are there and to be aware of that. We were, the reason I was just thinking about that is I was down by Tonopon. We were talking about the pale kangaroo mouse and how it lives in a certain environment and mm -hmm. so it's going to be proposed and we need to know that and like Ashley said in the beginning we have you know almost 900 species in Nevada that we manage at the Department of Wildlife and and to know more information about all those animals is very important we know a lot about a lot of the bigger species but these smaller species that are obligate to the sagebrush ecosystem are, are super important to get as much information as possible 
Yeah. And actually, um, uh, following that, uh, it's interesting because we, when we're walking out, so this rabbit traveled like 2.5 kilometers out. So we had to, like from the road, it was really far back. So we were like walking out there and we didn't see a lot of like sign or burrows. And it's possible he went like a different way because pygmy rabbits need sagebrush to disperse or to move. Um, so they don't like travel through agricultural fields or anything. Um, but we didn't see a lot of sign between these two like colonies as we call them. Um, so I think that's really important to consider too, is that when you're surveying for these animals, you can't just necessarily survey like one small section because they may be connected, but you they're, they're really easy to miss when you survey them because they live around these burrows. So like I've, I've missed, I'm sure I've missed colonies a lot um, by just not going to the right area. So um, it's just, I think it's really important to consider how big of an area you probably need to survey um, to actually find them and to figure out how colonies or populations may be connected. In, um, so you had, before you started GPSing, coloring the rabbits, you had been um, capturing and releasing, looking for burrows, doing different surveys. So in that time, how many did you how many have you caught over time, I guess? Um, from 2016 to 28 or 2019, excuse me. Um, I think we caught about 810, I wanna say. I just kind of like looked yesterday. Um, but so that's a pretty big sample size and um, what I think is really cool is we're we were tagging them. So we were pit tagging them so we could identify individuals. And um, although we didn't have great recapture rates, um, we did have at least two rabbits that we tagged in 2016 that we caught in 2019 as well. So that's really cool considering their lifespan in, in the wild is like two to three years. That's why I wanted to ask that because, um, well, number one, you were saying how you can't just survey one, you have to survey a sample, which you have done. And then number two, I remember that one of the pictures was a rabbit you had captured twice, which was exciting to see years apart too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's definitely one of the highlights of the job and I get so excited um, when we like trap a rabbit that's been caught in a previous year. And then another thing is again you started um, you're currently giving them the collars so have you um, have you seen a lot after putting the collars on them have you encountered rabbits with the collars? Um, yes <laughs> so um, actually just the other day uh, sorry, story time. Um, just the other day, we, uh, the VHF, well, it didn't die. She clipped it. So the VHF was like clipped down to the nub. So we couldn't hear her with the radio telemetry equipment. 
And we looked at her GPS data because her collar was still like transmitting. Um, and so we knew the general area she was in two hours before then. So we just thought we would like go out and search there. Um, and we ended up seeing her, which was, it's always really cool when you just like come upon a collared rabbit. And that's happened a couple times. So um, that's, I mean, that's really exciting for me at least. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like it's almost like the same as when you've recaptured rabbits, uh, the same yeah. rabbit. It's almost like you're seeing that same colored rabbit. So you keep saying we, how many people are on your crew and can people get involved and like come out and help or do you ask for volunteers ever or? Um, honestly, I have trouble like asking for help. But if anyone ever wants to volunteer, I highly suggest like reaching out to me because um, I love having people out and explaining the project and stuff. Um, I say we and I have had a lot of different texts um, from 2016 to now. So um, usually I'm with someone else tracking the rabbits. Um, and that's kind of what I mean by we. Um, yeah, no, that's super interesting. I want to keep talking to you and I'm looking at the time, like even Aaron messaged me, we're out of time. <laughs> so very interesting stuff. But the last thing you were saying goes to show the importance of the work you're doing, having researchers out, paying attention to the species so that we can learn more. Thank you so much, Miranda. We may have to have you back on at some point and get an update on your work. Thank you. And yeah, that would be great. I would love that. Well, thanks again. And thank you everyone for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.